This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode. As we look at Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 26 and 28, or 26 through 28, I guess I should say today. Are you an environmentalist? Maybe you think environmentalists are just those tree-hugging liberal lunatics who fight for the rights of rainforest birds and Pacific salmon while ignoring the needs of humans and unborn babies and, and other people who have actual needs. Well, I have criticisms of the environmental movement as well, but in today's episode of the One Verse Podcast, when we look at Genesis 1, 26-28, we're going to see that as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, we shouldn't necessarily be condemning the environmentalists, but should actually, maybe be leading the way in showing this world how to really stand up for God's earth. So if that interests you, stay tuned to learn more. Hey, and this episode of the One Verse Podcast is brought to you, potentially, by you. This month, I'm inviting you, if you are appreciating what you have learned in the One Verse Podcast and you want to sort of help cover the costs of producing this show, and not just the podcast, but also the books I write, Uh, the blog that I run over at RedeemingGod.com, you can participate with me. You can join me. Go to RedeemingGod.com slash partner. You can learn a lot more about the ministry, the the website, the costs that I I incur on a monthly basis, and how you can partner with me. Several people have already uh, joined me, partnered with me to cover these costs. Thank you very much. And, And listen, there's no guilt. No manipulation here. I just want to offer you the opportunity to join with me in doing that. If that's uh, something you'd like to do as you close out this year, thank you. Go to redeeminggod.com slash partner. Learn more there. With that in mind, let's get on with our show. Okay, so in the previous episode, we began to look at the second part of the sixth day of creation in which God creates the pinnacle of the creation week. And that pinnacle, of course, is mankind. In the last episode, episode 17, we looked at the plural pronouns that God uses for himself in Genesis 1.26, and we asked why Moses would write it that way. God says, let us make man in our image. And Moses didn't, did not believe in the Trinity, so we asked, why would Moses write it that way? Why would God speak of himself that way? And I reviewed the eight most common explanations for why uh, the, those plural pronouns there are, are used there for God. And then I proposed a ninth explanation. And in fact, in my study this past week, I discovered I'm not alone in that. I actually found two other biblical scholars who came up with a similar view. So last time I said, I'm the only one I know who holds this view. Well, that's no longer two. There's, there's two others I'm aware of. One is John Salehammer, and another one is Karl Barth. Uh, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. So uh, that's exciting. Anyway, uh, I explain how these fl- these plural pronouns for God fit with sort of the central idea of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that man and woman together were created in the image of God. 
Uh, and we're sort of leading up to, gearing up for this this study, which I hope to get to next week, about the image of God. And uh, we did that last week by looking at these plural pronouns and how man and woman together were in the image of God. Today we're going to look at another key concept of the image of God, which is this concept of dominion over the earth. Uh, this dominion, uh, having dominion is actually a consequence of being made in the image of God, uh, rather than the content of it. But but that's what we're going to study today, this idea of being made in the image of God. So, what we read in Genesis 1, 26, is that after God created the man and the woman, the text says that God gave them dominion over the earth. Later, he instructs them to subdue it, and then in Genesis 2, to tend and keep it. Uh, and so this this dominion, and after God gives them do, dominion, he's, he spells out what it means in verses 26 and 28 about having dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the animals on the earth. And, and we're pretty familiar with this terminology, but it is hard to describe how shocking this statement would have been for the original audience, for the Israelite audience, when they heard Moses say this in verses 26 and 28. Uh, And it's these two words that he uses. They're really quite shocking words. The the, the Hebrew word, the first one, is radah, and uh, it means to have dominion. That's a fine translation, but usually we think, oh, well, it means to rule or to have mastery over or something like that. But the word is actually much stronger and much more negative even than those words. If you do a, a word study on this with your Logos Bible software or something else, uh, you, you discover, like, like for example, in 1 Kings 9.23, that word radah is used there in reference to how King Solomon sent out laborers to, are you ready, to force people almost into slavery to build the temple and to build his own palace. Uh, it's also used in, in Isaiah 14, too, about how when Israel went and defeated her oppressors, guess what they did? Uh, they, they took slaves of their enemies and, and, be, and became the oppressors of their enemies. So uh, that, that's, that's two places that that word is used. Right? It, means, it means basically to turn other, other people into slaves. Now, that's the first word, radah. The second word, subdue, is not any better. It's the Hebrew word kabash, and it literally means to trample upon. Uh, an English equivalent word might be to subjugate. Now, that's not a good word, right? Uh, again, if you do a word study on this, you look over in Zechariah 9.5, it's, it's about how in the last days Israel will trample on the weapons of her defeated enemies. But a real key use of this is in Jeremiah 34.11. It talks about how uh, when the Babylonians came to attack Israel, initially uh, all the slave owners in Jerusalem let their slaves go free because they, they figured they were all going to die and they needed every person who, who was able to wield a sword and defend the city to, to, to man the walls. But after Babylon was, um, uh, after, after the slaves had been set free, uh, the, the slave owners went and regathered all their slaves and made them slaves again. <laughs> that's, that's how it's used in Jeremiah 34, 11. And so that's this word, kabash. Uh, and so neither word's very nice. And so when, when, when the Israelites heard Moses talk about how in the beginning, you know, this is really before sin entered the world, God gave Radah and Kabash to mankind to, to, to rule over the fish and the birds and, and, and the animals. 
What the Israelites heard Moses saying is that mankind was to become the oppressors, was to dominate, was to subjugate the birds and the fish and the animals. And and remember, Israel has just come out of oppression and domination and subjugation and slavery under the, the drivers, the slave drivers whip in Egypt. And so that's what they would have understood Moses to be saying. So why does Moses use those words here? That's the question. Why does Moses use these words that are normally reserved for the context of slavery, suppression, captivity, bondage, servitude? I mean, is that really how God wants humans to treat the birds and the fish and the animals? Are they just our slaves? Are we supposed to get out our whips and beat them into submission to do what we want and treat them like our possessions and and, and force them to work for us? Well, to answer that, Uh, we first need to understand something else about how these words were used and also something from the religious contexts of those days. Remember, as we work our way through Genesis, we're looking at uh, the other religions of that day, such as the religions of uh, Egypt and Babylon and and Canaan and the other Mesopotamian cultures of that time. Uh, and, And in those religions, they understood that the gods themselves ruled the world. Uh, The gods themselves were the ones who had domination, who subdued the world. Uh, It is the gods of these other religions who ruled and subdued the earth that, that, that had dominion over the earth, not the humans. And so when Moses, again, writes that humans have dominion over the earth, what he is actually doing is placing humans in a position that is normally reserved for the gods alone. These similar terms were used in other religious contexts of these other cultures for the way the gods dominated and ruled and subdued the earth, and especially humans on the earth. So, So what's going on here is that in Genesis, humans are being placed in the position of gods. I'll talk a lot more about this when we talk about the image of God in our in our next study. But what we see here is this revolutionary break with the contemporary world of Moses. Mankind is being possessed of dignity, purpose, freedom, and tremendous power. And this helps us understand why Moses uses the terms that he does here. By using these terms of of domination, subjugation, oppression, slavery, of mankind's authority over creation, what I think Moses is doing, what I think God is doing through the pen of Moses, is redeeming these terms. I think God is inviting the Israelites to rule as they had often dreamt of ruling. Look, uh, I don't know what your position is in life. And, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're at a really bad job and your boss is horrible to you. And, and uh, if you're like me and you're in that situation, you often think, man, if I was in power, if I was the boss, if I was the CEO, if I was the king, here's what I would be doing. And you know, the Israelites, that's exactly what they had been thinking as they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They often thought what they would do if they were in charge. Maybe some of them thought, if I was in charge, I sure wouldn't beat and whip and starve and overwork the Egyptians the way the Egyptians were doing to me. Uh, Of course, you know, they were humans just like us, and so maybe that's exactly what they thought. Oh, if I ever get in charge of the Egyptians, I would beat and whip and, 
and starve them the way they beat and whip and starve me. I mean, frankly, that's the way most of the world operates. You treated me bad when you were in power, so now that I'm in power, oh, watch out, I'm going to treat you just as bad and maybe sometimes worse. Let's see how you like it. Okay, so there's sort of these two warring feelings that well up within us whenever we are the subject of abuse and the misuse of power. On the one hand, we think we will do it better, but on the other hand, when we actually get into this position of power, eh, more often than not, we tend to mistreat and abuse the power that we have, uh, just like those who had the power mistreated and abused us. Okay, so what God is saying here to the Israelites in Genesis 1, 26 and 28 is, okay, you are going to have power. You have power. Let's see what happens. God is saying, from the very beginning, I gave power to humans. I wanted you to rule and to have dominion over the entire earth. And for the most part, you humans have abused and misused that. But you Israelites, guess what? You are now about to enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be your own paradise. You are going to have the opportunity in that land to rule and have dominion. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that privilege and power? I think that's what God wanted the Israelites to ask themselves. They had just been under oppression and bondage and slavery to Egypt, and now they were going to enter into a land filled with people that they could rule over and dominate. And, and God wanted to know what they were going to do with that power. Well, sadly, we know what they did with that power. Uh, they followed the examples of the Egyptians. They dominated and subdued the Canaanites the way the world always does it. How's that? With the edge of the sword, the whip of the slave driver, the iron fist of the ruling class. Now look, uh, I don't think that is what it meant from the very beginning to have dominion. No, what I think is that that is how dominion has been perverted. In the beginning, to have dominion over something meant to watch over it, to protect it, to tend it, to care for it, to provide for it. And sort of as I hinted at earlier, instinctively, that's what we know in our deepest heart. That's what we know power is for. Like I said, we, all, we always think when we see the abuse of power, when we see a president or a king or a CEO of a company abusing his power, we know it's not right. And we often think, we always think, Boy, if I was in that position, I sure wouldn't behave that way. I would rule with equality and justice and liberty and generosity. I wouldn't take that much money for myself. I wouldn't treat those people that way. But, as human history has shown, almost always when we get into a position of power, we do abuse it. We behave with selfishness, greed, and superiority over others. Jesus, though, he showed us a different way, and I think that Jesus showed us what God originally intended it to mean to have this dominion over the earth. 
in, in speaking to his disciples about, pow- about power, he said this in Matthew 20. He says, the Gentiles lord it over each other, but not so with you. In other words, this is not the way I want your power to be. And he showed us through his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection, he showed us what true power was for, what true power looks like, what it means, what it looks like to have dominion over others. And what is that? To serve them, to, to, to subdue them with your love. And that, I believe, was the original plan and the original focus of this dominion and this, uh, this word subdue that we have in Genesis 1. God gave humans power over the earth, uh, and that power was to be used the way Jesus used his power, to, to, to tend uh, the animals, to care for other people, to guide and, and, and fill the earth with love. And what happened is when sin entered the scene, that power was perverted. Uh, and so I think that in Jesus, though, uh, what we're seeing, and Moses, I think, saw it here at the very beginning as well, was that God wants to redeem the power back to its original plan and original purposes. Uh, that redemption continues in you and me today. Uh, you and I, we, we each have a bit of power, a, a sphere of, of influence, an area of life in which we have dominion. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's, uh, maybe yeah, at work, people report to you. Maybe you stay at home and your children, you have power over your children. Or, or maybe in some ways or another, you might have power uh, over your garden. Let's put it that way. You, you tend your garden or you take care of pets. And, you know, we could talk about all of those, uh, but let's focus on the one area that God talks about here in Genesis 1, our dominion over the plants and animals of this earth. This gets us into that environmental issue, which I I opened up this episode with. Genesis 1 specifically gives us the realm, the area of plants and animals, fish, the birds, the plants and the trees and the animals, as our primary, or maybe our first, let's put it that way, our first area in which we are to have dominion. Uh, And Why does Genesis 1 do that? Well, I believe it's because this is the training ground. Plants and animals are the training ground for how we treat other human beings, how we use the power that God has given us, how we operate in this realm of dominion. And uh, so plants and animals is a practicing ground. And how are we doing with that? (laughs) Well, sadly, I think that uh, we're not doing so well. There have been some throughout Christian history who have used this idea of dominion and to subdue the earth as an excuse to misuse, abuse, and exploit God's creation for our own selfish purposes. Believe it or not, some Christians, not all thankfully, but some throughout history have used this idea of dominion to justify actions like deforestation of the jungles and rainforests, um, to abuse and mistreat animals for scientific purposes or just because we can. Uh, medical testing or overcrowding for meat production or, 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 you know, destruction of the earth through pollution and strip mining and over-harvesting or whatever it might be. The examples are nearly limitless of, for how humanity has abused our position and power of having dominion over the earth. And sadly, some Christians have collaborated with this and, and even approved of it in the name of, well, God gave us dominion over the earth to subdue it. And so this is what it means. Sometimes we humans have behaved more like a cancer in God's earth than its caretakers. 
I don't know if you saw the movie The Matrix, but I'm reminded of uh, the scene in the movie The Matrix where Agent Smith has Morpheus tied up in the chair. And uh, he, he says, he talks to Morpheus about the human race. And here's what he says. I know you can't see it, but I'm going to play a clip from the movie The Matrix. Listen in. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. Yep. (laughs) I love that scene. Actually, I love the whole movie. But Agent Smith is right. Uh, This is how we humans have often behaved. Notice that Agent Smith describes this multiplication about how we multiply and multiply upon the earth. And I don't know if the authors really were making an allusion to Genesis 128 there, but the, the, the blessing to be fruitful and multiply upon the face of the earth. But he points out the problem that when we multiply, we, we often tend to behave more like a cancer than the caretakers that we were supposed to be. We consume every natural resource, he says. We destroy the forests and the plants and the animals. We... we We pollute the air, we plunder the ground, we poison the water. And he doesn't say all that, but that's what happens. That's what we've done. And to make matters worse, we sometimes justify this abusive behavior by saying, well, God gave us dominion over the earth. That means the earth is ours to do with as we wish, and we can treat it, we can treat animals, and however we want, we can bulldoze rainforest. You know, look, having dominion over the earth does not mean that we can use the earth however we want. And and we humans have often used the earth and the plants and the animals in horrible and abusive ways, more like a cancer than as a caretaker. Uh, We're not surrounded by natural resources. Think of it this way. We are not surrounded by natural resources, but by sacred resources. Everything around us, the plants, the animals, and trees, they have been created by God and given to mankind so that we can take care of them. God has given us a sacred responsibility to take care of a sacred resource. And we abuse this responsibility when we abuse the resources. So dominion, or this rulership, it's not just about power. Uh, Having dominion is not a blank check to treat this earth and its inhabitants any way we want. What it means is that we are to protect and provide for those under our care. Again, God's the perfect example of this, not just in Jesus, but, but, but the way God rules this world. And uh, he doesn't force us to do what he wants. You look at the way God rules the world, he gives us great freedom. 
And in, in this freedom, he, yes, he provides oversight, care, and protection. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the sun to rise. It's great. There's great freedom, yes, within boundaries, but there's great freedom to do what we will. And through it all, even when we go astray, God guides, he tends, and he protects. And ultimately, of course, as I've mentioned before, Jesus reveals in John 13, basically everything he said and did, that to rule others is to serve others. Most of us humans, we have this idea that to rule others is to get them to serve you, to get them to do what you want. But Jesus showed us a different way of ruling, which which focuses on serving others. Biblical leadership, it's not the right or the ability to force other people to bend to your will, but biblical leadership is bending your will to that of others, to, to come alongside others, to carry them, support them, to come beneath them so that you can lift them up. And that's what it means to have dominion, to rule. So you and I have dominion. And whereas many of the various religions of the world, they have this whole pantheon of gods to oversee, and that's the, the situation that Moses and the Israelites found themselves in. In God's creation, there is no other pantheon of gods. You and I are it. You and I are in that position of the gods. You and I are to tend and serve and care and guide and protect this earth and everything that is in it. Now, if that sounds overwhelming, <laughs> Let me encourage you a little bit. You yourself don't have to take care of everything. But there is something you can do. So ask yourself, what aspect or element of this world has God placed upon your heart to tend and care for? Maybe you want to save the whales. If so, wonderful. (laughs) Go for it. They need saving from all the abuse and over... Hunting of whales. I don't know anything about whales. But, you know, if that's your thing, go for it. God has placed that upon your heart. Maybe you want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It's not my thing. I mean, I'll take that back. I do drive a Prius. (laughs) Uh, And I get a little mad seeing people drive those uh, Hummers. But look, if that's your thing, have at it. On the other hand, maybe you have a passion to feed and clothe the homeless. Listen, may God give you the resources to do it. Maybe you have a love to protect orphans and widows and single mothers. Listen, that is a desperate need, and I hope more people find a way to help them. Here's the thing. There are a million needs in this world, and you and I have dominion. And we don't have dominion. I myself don't have dominion over everything. But there are a few needs, a few things that I can care for, that I can tend, that I can guide, and that I can protect. It's easy to get overwhelmed if I look at all the needs, but it's easy to make a difference if I look at the one or two things I can do. My wife who needs a hug. My daughters who need a word of encouragement. My neighbor who needs a little help with his lawn. God doesn't want you to fix everything and oversee everyone. But he does want you and me to help in the one little area that we can do today. The thing he has laid on our hearts to do. So what are you going to do? What are you going to take care of? Where are you going to serve? What will you tend? Where will you protect and provide? 
Each of us has an area that God wants us to live and love and serve. What's your area? How will you have dominion over the earth in a way that looks and loves and serves like Jesus? Hope I didn't sound too much like a tree-hugging, liberal, environmentalist lunatic. <laughs> I hope you're not one of those. Or actually, I hope you are. I'm just saying that. I love environmentalists. I have several friends who are that way. Um, and like I said, if you have a need to save the whales or hug a tree, I believe that's got something God has laid upon your heart to do. So go do it. My blessing is with you in it. Just remember, other people have different needs, different blessings that they want to share with the world, and God is leading them in that way also. I really hope you were encouraged by this episode today, and you're going to follow Jesus in some brand new way this coming year. Thanks for listening. <laughs>